He was a morbidly obese surgeon destined for an operating table and an early death. Now he's a rebel MD who is fabulously fit and fighting to make America healthy again. This is Stay Off My Operating Table with Dr. Philip Ovedia. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack Heald, your host, and I'm here with the star of the show, Dr. Philip Ovedia of Ovedia Heart Health, and this is the Stay Off My Table podcast. Phil, I am so pleased to be with you. Thank you, Jack. I'm pleased to be here as well. Well, this is our very first episode of the podcast, and I think we should start with who you are. Start with your story. When we first spoke, you told me that your your perception of yourself was formerly obese heart surgeon, now rebel MD. So give me a, a quick, real quick uh, high-level overview. Who are you? How'd you get here? And then we're going to dive into some details. Sure thing. That sounds good. Um, I spent my lifetime battling obesity and uh, was fortunate enough a few years ago to realize that much of what I had learned about why we get obese and why we get unhealthy in general was uh, misdirected. And by discovering kind of this alternative information, it has led me down a path to discover that much of what we do in healthcare these days um, has lost focus and is not directed at keeping people healthy. And through my own personal journey to get healthy, I it has led me to a place where I now uh, want to and prefer to help others stay healthy and stay off my operating table. Okay, so let's talk about that operating table real quick. What exactly is it that you do? Talk to lay people. Where? <laughs> sure thing. Uh, what so, is it you do there in the operating theater? Yes. So uh, the my fancy title is I am a cardiothoracic surgeon, but as you said, for the lay people, what that means is I operate primarily on the heart and occasionally on the lungs and the other organs that exist within the chest there. And the most common operation I do is for people that have blockages in the arteries of the heart. Uh, again, the fancy medical term is atherosclerotic heart disease, but basically it just means that people have blockages that have built up in the arteries that supply their heart, and therefore they are not getting good enough blood flow to their heart. And ultimately, if that's not corrected, that can lead to a heart attack. All right. So as a cardiothoracic surgeon who spends most of his time inside people's chests, or at least most of the time when you're working inside people's chests, talk about yourself. Um, was there a point in your career when you realized you were a candidate for your own table? Yes. Uh, so, you know, as I said, I had found myself basically in my early 40s and I was morbidly obese, uh, so very this, overweight. Tell, tell us what morbidly obese means. Yeah. So morbid obesity is, is kind of a technical term for being very, very overweight. Um, and uh, I fit into that category. And I also, you know, based on, you know, my my health evaluations and going to see my physician, uh, I realized that I was on my way to being diabetic, what we call pre-diabetic. And 
it occurred to me that, you know, many of the patients that I operate on, uh, you know, had the same history. And so therefore, um, I was on, on the way to ending up on my own operating table, so to speak. So how long did it take you to become morbidly obese? Well, you know, I had always been overweight ever since I was a uh, child, as long as I can remember. And that was despite, you know, kind of living a life that we were told was healthy. My parents were told, you know, they were feeding me healthy food according to the U.S. dietary guidelines and the food pyramid. Um, I had a brother. So what was that? What what was, what were they feeding you? Yeah. So that was the, uh, you know, kind of, uh, six servings of, uh, whole grains a day. Uh, we ate the heart healthy cereals. So we were told low sugar, um, you know, but high carbohydrate, uh, Cheerios and Wheaties you can think of. We used, uh, we were low fat, so, uh, skim milk instead of regular milk, uh, margarine instead of butter. And, you know, and, and diet sodas instead of regular sodas, um, you know, those types of things, orange juice. Okay. Um, we were very, you know, very much in line with what the mainstream advice was. Okay. Um, I, uh, you know, also important, uh, in my, you know, kind of overall story is I have a older brother who is a type one diabetic and he was diagnosed, uh, you know, when he was young and I, I was very young. And so that also guided our, you know, food choices within our house. And type uh, one diabetic is born without a functioning pancreas. Is that essentially very early in life? The pancreas fails and uh, requires insulin, and you know, is is told the 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 standard advice for type one diabetics is that they should moderate their sugar and carbohydrate intake, and then they have to balance it with the insulin they're using. And I'm sure we'll get into it at some point, but, uh, you know, I, I have now come to believe that that's not the best, uh, advice, but anyway, uh, because of that, we didn't have a lot of sugar in the house. And as I said, we ate a low fat diet according to the U S dietary guidelines. And I was a very active child played sports years year round, rode my bicycle or walked to school into my friend's house. And, you know, wait a minute, you were fat and very active. I was fat and very active. And that, that okay. was a, cons- I- yeah. And that was a consistent, uh, you know, story throughout my, uh, you know, throughout my childhood and into my early adult, uh, life. So w- was there ever a point in your life before this epiphany five years ago when you weren't overweight, obese? There was never really a time that I wasn't overweight or obese, but there were many times that I had tried to lose weight and would sometimes lose some weight, but always would gain it back and usually gain it back and more. To what do you attribute that failure to keep it off? Well, you know, at the time, I would tell you that I attributed it to, you know, my bad genetics, basically. My parents were overweight, you know, I was overweight. And, uh, you know, I just said, oh, it's got to be my genetics because I was doing everything I had learned, you know, needed to be done to lose weight. I was counting my calories in. I was increasing my calories out with, you know, physical activity. 
And so, you know, and like I said, that would work for a short period of time and I would lose a little bit of weight. But invariably, as I think most people, you know, in the audience uh, will relate to, uh, it didn't hold up over the long term. Why not? Why did it not hold up for you? Well, again, I think, uh, you know, I was told and I attributed that to I just didn't have the willpower to to make that last long enough. What I now realize is it was because I was always hungry. And ultimately, you know, we as humans are going to give in to our hunger. Uh, So when you're just trying to restrict the amount of food you eat, ultimately, you know, your hunger uh, is going to get the best of you unless you really have great willpower. But I'm not sure that that exists, to be honest. I I want to I want to come back around and talk about that at some point uh maybe in another episode the why the just calories in calories out didn't really work for you um I to me that that would probably be uh, a common experience for a lot of people so let's make a note of that I'm going to I'm going to make a note talk about calories in calories out um so five years ago, something changed. Yeah. What changed? So what changed for me is the uh, first time, you know, really in my uh, life, uh, certainly in my professional life, uh, and realized by this time I had gone through medical school and the training that it takes to become a, a surgeon and a heart surgeon and had been in practice as a heart surgeon uh, for, you know, over a decade at that point. And I, whoa, 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 you, you'd spent 10 years as an obese heart surgeon. I had spent 10 years as an obese heart surgeon. Did you ever have a a patient say, Hey doc, uh, what, what gives, (laughs) you know, I never, I never had a patient actually say that to me, but I, I always kind of had a sense of that, uh, you know, cause even to myself, uh, you know, I would, I would have the standard conversation with patients, you know, invariably, uh, you know, usually after the surgery, you know, because when I'm talking to them about undergoing surgery, that's obviously a stressful situation, but usually afterwards and they're recovering and they're kind of like, Hey, what do I do? So this doesn't happen again. And I would kind of give them the standard advice, which was, you know, eat a low fat diet and watch your calories and try and lose some weight and get some exercise. But I always knew in the back of my mind, you know, that wasn't working for me and, uh, you know, wasn't uh, going to work for them, uh, most likely. So, um, yeah. And, and that was always, you know, a little, that always gnawed at me a little bit, I would say. Um, I was never quite happy with that. Uh, but you know, as a busy heart surgeon, I didn't spend as much time thinking about that as, as perhaps I should have. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to picture this person going through what, eight, 10, 12 years of medical training, and then another 10 years plus practicing and you're obese the whole time. A- am I right about that? Yes. Yes. Did, 
we're going to talk about the medical community, I guess, in another <laughs> in another episode. I'm I'm just I'm I'm blown away. All right, so five years ago, something changed, um, and you know I know you. You've clearly somehow won the battle against obesity. You're fit and strong and healthy. What changed? How did it happen? Yeah. So, you know, I happened to be, uh, well, actually the first step was, um, really started with my wife. Uh, she, after having our, uh, children, um, had struggled, uh, very significantly with heartburn. And, uh, she went to see one of her, uh, health practitioners and it was suggested to her that, uh, she try eliminating gluten from her diet, going gluten free. And to be honest, I was skeptical because, you know, what I had learned about gluten uh, was that, you know, people with it's called celiac disease. But there's a specific disease that makes people sensitive to, you know, that they can't tolerate gluten. And I didn't think and, you know, no one had suggested that my wife had that. So I didn't see any reason that going gluten free was going to help with her heartburn. But, you know, I'm a supportive husband. And I said, if you want to try it, I'll try it with you. And so we, we went gluten-free. And immediately, I noticed that I felt better. Not that I lost weight, just that I felt better. I had more energy. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, be, uh, I wouldn't have the afternoon crash and need the, you know, three cups of coffee or, or even a nap, you know, in my office, which I was prone to doing. And I, you know, I, I chalked that up as curious. but again, didn't really make the connection. And then, um, you know, probably a month or two later, I happened to be at a medical conference and the invited guest speaker was uh, Gary Tobbs, who's a uh, investigative journalist uh, with a background in science. And he had just written a book, uh, The Case Against Sugar, and had previously written uh, the book, Why We Get Fat uh, and Good Calories, Bad Calories. and at that meeting, listening to Gary talk, I was introduced to the concepts around, uh, you know, low carbohydrate, why sugar is uniquely damaging to our metabolic health. And, you know, this was all new information to me. All right. And what did you do with that information, my friend? Well, I immediately read Gary's books and, uh, you know, eliminated sugar uh, initially from my diet and then uh, kind of went low carb uh, and, you know, really had immediate great success. Started losing weight, started feeling a lot better. And, uh, you know, within six months, I had probably lost, you know, 50 plus pounds. And the other thing I noticed was that for the first time in my life, I was less hungry. Uh, so it wasn't as much of a struggle as it had always been when I was just counting calories and, you know, doing traditional dieting. So what, what do you attribute that not being hungry to? Yeah. So, you know, it really comes down to the hormonal signals, you know, that the, the hormones, the chemicals that our bodies produce in reaction to eating certain foods. And there is one hormone in particular, insulin, um, which again brings me back to my type one diabetic brother. 
uh, I had certainly learned a lot about insulin, you know, from him and in medical school and, and all of that, but had never really correlated insulin to nutrition and to overall health and to hunger. And it turns out that insulin is one of the, you know, master hormones uh, that controls our hunger and our overall, what I call metabolic health, you know, the, the kind of proper functioning of our body. So it sounds like we are going to have to talk about hormones in an upcoming episode. Yes, certainly another, uh, another topic to dive deep into. But the right, bottom... So, go ahead. I was going to say the bottom line is for the first time, I realized that eating certain foods made you more hungry. And eating, not eating those foods, or perhaps, you know, selecting other foods instead of those foods can make you less hungry and therefore, you know, make it less of a struggle to lose weight and then maintain a healthy weight. So there are foods you can eat that leave you hungrier and other foods that don't have that effect. Is that what I heard you say? That is correct. Yes. So five years later, how much have you lost total? So I've now lost a hundred pounds. Uh, I have maintained it. Um, You know, uh, I've maintained uh, that weight loss. I have added muscle. Uh, I am literally in the best shape of my life. I wear smaller pants than I did in high school. And I have, you know, essentially endless energy. Uh, And I, I, and for the, you know, again, Food is no longer a struggle for me. And that really is the most important thing. You know, in the end, I don't care that much about, you know, how I look in the mirror. Uh, I care that, you know, I can go through my life on a day to day basis, feeling good, having the energy I need to keep up with my kids and, and you know, do everything I do, being a heart surgeon and, and running my medical, uh, my telemedical metabolic health practice and, uh, you know, everything else I need to do. And I don't struggle. I don't think about food constantly. Um, that has been the biggest, the biggest change for me. So I've got one more question before we wrap it up for this initial episode. What can you do? What do you do physically and or mentally that you couldn't do before you had this massive lifestyle change? How has it changed your, your, the way you live your life? Yeah. So honestly, you know, from the mental standpoint, as I said, I don't spend all of my time thinking about food anymore. And I really realize in retrospect, how much of my energy was spent uh, just thinking about food. When am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? Uh, you know, planning my day around that. You know, if I had a long operation, you know, is the cafeteria going to be open when I'm done? Or do I need to, you know, find some food beforehand? And now, um, you know, I, I can go extended periods of time without eating. If I have to fast for uh, a day or two, even, you know, for whatever reason, it, 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 I'm able to do that and it doesn't bother me. And I, I am no longer controlled by food. I now control, you know, what I eat. Uh, and from a physical standpoint, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, 
you know, there there's almost everything I do in terms of uh, I've now run a half marathon. I do weight training, uh, weightlifting, you know, all of that. And, and these are all things that I couldn't do. Uh, but most important to me is that I know that as I continue to get older, I'm going to be able to continue to perform and, you know, keep up with my children and ultimately my grandchildren and all of that. Um, and uh, I, I no longer, you know, I, I don't face the typical future that I think most of us face. Most of us think we face, which is, you know, ending up kind of frail and in a nursing home and spending the last third of our life, you know, not able to do the things that we want to do. Wow. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, I'm looking forward to continuing conversations as, uh, as uh, we put this together. So for uh, Dr. Philip Ovedia, I am Jack Heald. Go ahead and uh, subscribe so you hear, so you're notified when uh, new podcasts come out. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Chances are you wouldn't be listening to this podcast if you didn't need to change your life and get healthier. So take action right now. Book a call with Dr. Avadia's team. One small step in the right direction is all it takes to get started. Contact us at ifixhearts.com slash talk. That's ifixhearts.com slash talk.